You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. In 2011, I went on the trip of a lifetime. It was epic. Who here has ever been pumped for a holiday, pumped for an adventure? Nearly all of us. What the heck are you other ones doing? That's all right. <laughs> I was pumped. I was so excited. I remember um, finding out that I just got and received a scholarship from UNSW for two weeks to go to China. I was going to learn Mandarin. It wasn't very effective because all I know is Ni Hao Ma. But the trip was epic. I decided to go for a, an extra two weeks holidaying and I made it a whole month. And I was so excited to go, to backpack, to do the touristy thing. I had my own agenda. But little did I realize God had something so much bigger in store. We were getting off the plane and being pumped and getting my suitcase and in typical Jesse Skelly fashion, just being so excited to get out of the airport. And as I exited the airport, there was these two guys standing there with my name on a sign. And I was like, all right, this is not good. I was thinking about all those like American FBI movies and I'm like, I'm going to Guantanamo Bay. Like, what's going on? I didn't do anything. It wasn't me. But in all seriousness, I had no idea what they were doing there. So I walked over and approached them and, hi, amen, amen. I'm Jesse. Hallelujah, brother. In that moment, I had no idea who they were. I had no idea why they knew my name. And I was like, they have to be Christians. That's all I knew. And I was like, I've got to make a decision here. What do I do? But then thankfully it clicked. And I realized that I actually was part of a Christian group on campus that was full of different Chinese Christians. And I'd send an email to someone being like, hey, I'm going to China. Here's my itinerary. I'm doing this, this, and this. If you want to meet up once, you know, grab a coffee. I don't know. Why not? But these guys clearly did not understand what I meant. They clearly, there was clearly a miscommunication in my email. Lost in translation. I'd already booked accommodation. But these guys were picking me up and wanting me to go with them. So they sort of signaled, come, come follow me. And I was like, all right, God, why not? <laughs> I was naive. I'd only been a Christian for like nine months. I was 18, so extra uber-nuber, naive. I don't recommend anyone ever doing this. I'm not an advocate for it. But I followed these guys, and I went on the trip of a lifetime. It was absolutely epic, and it changed my life, and it changed my faith. I saw these people embody the love of God in ways I had never seen before. The first night, I rock up, and I meet a guy called Rudolph. And Yeah, Rudolph, right? <laughs> I'm in China. Like, what? I meet a guy called Rudolph, and we started talking. As we're chatting, he's sharing his testimony in broken English, and we're just getting to know each other, and then I meet some more people, and Rudolph is like, yeah, I'm going to take you around different parts of China, and he takes me to this meeting, and we're at this meeting, and everyone's praying and going hard in Chinese and reading the Bible in Chinese and breaking bread, and it was just, it was nuts. I couldn't understand a thing, but I could just feel the love of God in that place. So that was like Monday night, but then come Tuesday night, we went to another meeting, and it was a French-speaking meeting. They were trying to learn the Bible in French. I didn't even know it in English. And these guys were just 
getting in there and trying to learn the Bible in French. And another night we went and we had a deaf and blind meeting. These guys wanted to witness the people from all throughout the world. And they were willing to go and just dig in and learn the Bible in different languages. It was nuts. One experience really stood out to me. I remember walking into this lady's home one day and like I crouched in, like legitimately like, I don't know what they'd build doors, but it was about this big and I was like, what the heck? And I'm sort of sitting down, hey, how you going? And it's just like really small little cozy house. I'm eating these fish heads, but I won't go into that. <laughs> don't do it. But I walk into this place and I see this little blow up pool. And I'm like, why is that inside? It must be a Chinese thing. <laughs> but I couldn't work it out. And then I start chatting to someone who speaks a little bit of English, and he was like, baptize, amen, baptize. Later that day, a person turns up, and they tell me that someone's about to get baptized, this 53-year-old woman who lives in that home, and that she wanted me to baptize her. In that moment, I was like, uh-uh, not happening. I'd been baptized like legitimately two weeks prior by Sam. I was like, do you do it this way or this way? How long do I hold them under for? Like, I don't want to kill them. I just did not know what to do. But I remember doing it, and in that moment, something came over me, and it was just a powerful expression of God's love. Seeing someone commit their life and dedicate their life to God was amazing. That whole trip was inspiring. You see, over there, I experienced the countercultural love like I'd never seen before in my life. These Chinese Christians were so sold out. It made me realize while the church in China is booming, going gangbusters, growing exponentially, and unfortunately, while the church in Australia and in the West is declining, these guys were sold out. They went hard. So many Australians are culturally Christians, but so many Chinese people have completely abandoned their culture in order to pursue Christ wholeheartedly, devote their whole lives to him. And that experience will never leave me. See, Sam Haddon, our senior pastor, tells us that the success of our community will be the secret to our mission. How we demonstrate Christ's love and community will be how we reach the world. But see, Sam's not just talking about Sundays when we catch up. He's talking about each and every day of our lives in our workplace, sport team, at school, uni, everywhere we go, we're called to embody the love of Christ. See, what struck me about my trip to China was how much they spent time with their brothers and sisters, how much they spent time together in fellowship. Is it just me or when Sunday rolls around, you're like, man, I'm tired. I've got so much work to do. I've got an essay due like tonight, man. I only started this morning. <laughs> or Sunday night rolls around, it's like, man, I've got to prep and pack for the week. I haven't sorted out my protein diet this week. <laughs> and then Connect Group comes around on Tuesday and we're tired. It's been a long day in the office. We get home. It's 7 o'clock. I don't really want to smash some tie and then go... To and talk to people, be real. But these guys embodied Christianity in a profound way and did it every single night. 
They basically just worked to earn a few dollars so they could just share the gospel. It was nuts. It was so profound. And I was completely changed in seeing that. So if you were to squeeze an orange right now, what would you get? OJ, yeah? And if I was to squeeze some apples? Now that's a thinker. I like it. Cider would be a profound thing. But if I was to squeeze oranges and get apples, what would you be like? It doesn't make sense, right? That's weird. It doesn't, what the, that can't happen. Hmm? But if I was to squeeze Christians and everything but Jesus came out, would that also make you go, that doesn't make sense. That's weird. That shouldn't be like that, right? See, for me, I've been pondering on this thought of what does it look like for me when I'm squeezed? When I'm squeezed, does Jesus naturally flow out? And unfortunately, the answer is no. But for my Chinese brothers and sisters, it was definitely yes. Jesus flowed out of them, even their toughest moments and their trials. See, it's a countercultural love that is different to everyone else in this world. The love of Christ has to change each and every one of us. And it is so countercultural, it is so different. In 1 John 2.15, it talks about love. The whole of 1 John 2 talks about love. But in verse 15, it says, Do not love the world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our own achievements and possessions. These aren't from God, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does does what pleases God will live forever. See, we're not meant to have a craving for things of this world, to love things of this world. We're actually meant to love God. We're meant to crave God. But how often do we do that? So this weekend, I participated in the 40-hour famine And it was awesome. Um, Our youth group raised about $1,200. It was really cool. On Friday night, we had a sleepover to raise money and hang out. It's pretty much a lack of sleepover. But I wake up on Saturday morning with a profound thought. I don't get to eat. This sucks. (laughs) I crave food. I idolize food. Food had been taken away from me. And what happened? I was tired, I was stubborn, I was hungry, I was agitated. And I was like, man, i got to like try and put on like a brave face because I'm telling all these young people to do it. I don't even want to be doing this. So I was like, maybe we should do a Bible study because in the Bible it says that um, God is actually the bread of life and his word is meant to feed us. And I was like, it's a pretty good place to start for a youth pastor. So... We all gather and we read the word. And I just remember feeling just off, a bit weird. And during that Bible study, um, my wife said something to me, and I don't know what it was, but it just irritated me. And I was prideful, I was obnoxious. And when I was squeezed, Christ didn't come out. But you see, the problem there wasn't that it was just me and my wife in the room. The problem was there was a bunch of young people. 
And I, as a follower of Jesus, influence people in this world. And my influence was not necessarily of God. Christ didn't flow out of me. If you replaced me with my brother Rudolph in that situation, I have a good feeling Christ would have flowed out of him. See, how true is that for so many of us? When placed in hard situations, Christ just doesn't flow out. In John's um, letter, the first two words he says are, Dear friends, my beloved, other translations say. When I was in China, what really stood out was how they loved each other in their language and expression. Brother, sister, saint, not sinner, saint, made whole in Christ, righteous. Not mate, Tommy, Fred, brother. John says we're his dear friends. The love in that. He causes his beloved. Profound, profound way to start. It then goes on to say, Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. So where does, God, where does love come from? What is the basis of love? It's not very hard, right? Love comes from God. See, if we're God's kids, if we're saints, if we're his friends, if as believers we're meant to be different, what is this showing us? If, love's come, if love comes from God, then we're actually called to love others. You see, in 1 John 3.1, it says, it says this, See how much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children, because they don't know him. See, we recognize who we are. We are actually God's beloved. Our love comes from God. It is grounded in God and is based and rooted and founded in God. But the world don't get that. They don't see that. And so often we choose to live in the world and not to live in God. And our love to be rooted and grounded in the fact that we're his kids. We're his beloved. He calls us by name. He loves us and he has a plan and purpose for our life. See, this profoundly describes the father heart of God. Just the beautiful heart that God has for each and every one of us. It goes on to say, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's an interesting thought, right? I don't know about you, but it's pretty easy to just automatically Go, oh, I'm just going to love that person. I'm just going to try and love them. I'll be nice to them. And so often we end up doing it out of our own strength. We just want to try and be kind, try and be gracious, when really deep down the last thing we want to do is love this person. But God says that love is actually meant to come out of him because he is love. Profound. But the reality is, that if we get too caught up in the world, we actually can't love properly. You see, 1 John 3.10 puts it very bluntly. It says, So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Who are countercultural and who are of this world. 
See, anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. So if we actually don't live for God, then we can't show love to others because it's not from God. So therefore, we actually can't be countercultural in showing love to other people. Our love needs to be grounded in the fact that God loves us. See, the next part of the passage shows us how much he loves us. It says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Wow. God gave. He loves us so much, it's unfathomable. In Ephesians it says, how high, how wide, how far, how deep is the love of God. Four-dimensional love, mind blown. We just can't fathom it, right? We can't explain it. But God's love is so like this. It's so countercultural. See, that verse to me sounds so much like John 3.16, which is the gospel. It says, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. God so loved the world that he gave. God was willing to give. God was willing to actually show us his love by giving. See, giving is sacrificial. Giving is hard. Giving is not easy. But God chose to give of himself. Now that is a countercultural love. It's not, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. No, God loves you. God just loves you. God loves you. His love is real. His love is in the flesh. We can actually see his love. It's profound. 1 John 3, 16, just a few verses back says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love actually be in that person? This is the guy called Stevie, right? And Stevie is a champ. I met him not that long ago and he was chilling outside of Coles, just sitting on the ground there. I was waiting for Max Dunn and typically he was late. So I was chatting to Stevie and getting to know him. I never met him before and five minutes into the conversation, um, Maxie comes running past and I see him out of the corner of my eye and I'm about to finish the conversation with Stevie and Max comes up in his Kiwi accent and he's like, Stevie son, how are you? Just completely dismisses me. He just loved on Stevie. It was like Stevie was his best mate. Stevie was the only one in the world in that moment. See, that actually impacted me. That was profound. How did I, I didn't know Max knew Stevie. But Max went to the gym there every single day. And rather than putting his faith to one side, he decided to be a countercultural Christian and show genuine love in action to Stevie. It was about a week later and me and Max met up at the same place and we caught up and then we went off and did something. But about an hour later, we came back. So when we caught up, we actually saw Stevie with this girl. And I didn't know who she was in that moment. I just went, oh, cool. Stevie's talking to a girl. And um, we came back an hour later, and there was a girl sitting there, the same girl. And I was like, why? 
that's an hour. What's she doing there? It was like 5.30 at night. and So me and Max go up and start chatting. And then I see the girl face to face, and I know her. She works across the road at Wooden Whisk. See, one time I was chatting too loudly about Jesus to someone when I was having a coffee, and she comes over and goes, oh, I couldn't help but over here, but I'm a Christian too. I was like, oh, that's cool. And got to know her a bit better, and turns out she actually travels from the Central Coast each day for work. So that girl had no reason to be there. It was 5.30 at night. She'd finished a long, hard day at work. She'd caught the train in. She had about an hour and a half trip home. But she'd devoted an hour of her life to loving Stevie, to getting alongside this guy, to sacrifice. See, where it says in 1 John 3.16 that we're called to give up our lives for others, she had chosen to make a sacrifice for Stevie. She had chosen to actually give of herself. Where it says in verse 17, if someone sees a person in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in them? Clearly God's love was in her. Her compassion was so real and so genuine. It was tangible. She didn't choose to just pass him by. So I don't know if you live in a local area, but what would it look like for you this week if you see someone sitting on the ground outside Coles or in the St. Leonard's area, the chances are it's Stevie. What would it look like if this week, rather than just walking past or putting five bucks in and just keeping on walking, what would it look like if you actually had a genuine conversation with Stevie? You got down to his level and treated him like a real human being. What would it look like if we saw Stevie how Christ sees Stevie? Jesus showed love to so many people like Stevie. The blind, the beggars, the lepers, the prostitutes. Everyone's society says, nah, don't worry about them. They're crap. They're worthless. They're expendable. But Jesus doesn't think anyone is expendable. No one is too far from his love. Jesus embodied love and counterculturally loved people that society rejected. He says that whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. This week, when we see Stevie, think about how we can love him like we're loving Christ. The passage continues on and says that, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Let us show the truth by our actions. See, Max and the girl from Wooden Whisk clearly embodied real, tangible, countercultural love. They showed the truth by their actions. They embodied it. Whatever Christ did, they actually chose to do. Let us choose to show love to people this week, just like Christ modeled it to us. So back to um, 1 John 4, verse 10, it says, This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You see, countercultural love is tangible. It's real. It's in the flesh. It's in our actions. God gave. He sent his son. Sacrifice, the pain, the cost. Our love has to have that same sacrifice, that same cost. 
It needs to be attractive, just like that. Because why? Because God first loved us. He is our model. Jesus showed us how to love others. Because our Father gave himself in actually sending Christ for each and every one of us. We can't just say we love others without actually doing anything about it. The next verse goes on to say, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Sounds pretty easy, right? Because God loved us. Surely we should actually just love each other. Surely we should we try and be nice to each other. Surely we should try and help each other out. But why? Why should I try and love someone? What's the point? Why would I give up of my time to spend someone to spend it with someone like Stevie? Or to spend it with one of you? Why? It's because of God's great love for us. And his great sacrifice. It's because we're actually created and designed in his image. We are actually created and designed in the image of the creator of the universe. And if God is love, therefore we're actually created to embody love. We're created and designed to actually reflect love. I think it's pretty cool to think that the second part of this passage says that God's love is actually brought to full expression in us. Full expression. See, Jesus came and God's love was brought to full expression in him. And then he died. And then the Holy Spirit came and made his home within us. And God's love is meant to be brought to full expression in us as God makes his home in our hearts and in our lives and changes us to become more like Christ. As his body, as his church, we're meant to embody this love. As his followers, we're meant to express this love as we go out each week. So as a follower of Jesus, if you were to think about how you love others, does your love flow from God? Or does it flow from your own desires? I want to get something out of that. I want something back. If I give, I want to receive. Does our love actually flow from God? See, God calls us to bless to give, not that we'll receive, not that we'll get anything in return. No strings attached. But ultimately, people will be drawn back to God. In just giving to others, you would be amazed at how much they are drawn to your life. There's something different, radical about it. People will be drawn to you. You guys ever seen one of those bug lights, those big blue fluorescent things? See, um, I remember one time just watching one of these bug lights and just sitting there and gazing at it and bug after bug was drawn to this light. It was attracted. They just couldn't stop themselves. They couldn't help themselves in going and seeing what this light was all about. See, why don't me and you live and embody this countercultural love this week and be like that bug light. People will be drawn to us. As Sam says, we're called to be his fireflies, God's fireflies, to go out into the world and to share the love of God and to be the light of the world. If you were really the light of the world, I feel people would actually be attracted to you. People would be attracted to me. 
Not because of anything I've done, because of what Christ has done. Because he first gave. So as we finish up tonight, I want you to do one thing for me this week. Right now, I'd love you to bend down underneath your chair and pick up that little white square. Grab out a pen. And I want you to think of one person that you could show love to this week. One person. Who is one person you could embody the love of Christ to this week? Could be the first person that comes to your mind, your neighbor. And as you're writing, just think about how you could actually show them love this week. Who is that one person you could show love to this week? So why not, after the service, rather than chatting to someone about how good the weather was today, although it was pretty darn good, or how good the sport results were, although the Knights actually won, what would it look like if we actually kept each other accountable? As the body of Christ, as fellow believers, what would it look like if we actually said, hey, who is that one person that you're going to love this week, Pete? What might it look like for you to love that girl, Neri, this week? Or who are you going to try and love this week, Johnny? What might that look like? What would it look like if we actually kept each other accountable as the body of Christ? And rather than just leaving this place and going about our everyday weeks, actually encouraged each other, picked up our brothers when they were down, they're having a rough week, and spurred them on. Connect group rolls around on Tuesday, and you could actually maybe share and testify about how you went, if you struggled, you found it hard or easy. So this week, if each and every one of us in this auditorium right now was to do this, that would be about 100 lives to 150 lives changed. 100 to 150 people changed and influenced by God. The radical countercultural love of God embodied in us. And if together with our morning service, we were to do that this week, just love one person, that's 400 people. 400 people in this area and the greater Sydney, their lives changed, impacted by the love of God, moving closer to Christ. And what if we chose to love that person every week of this year, or a person every week of this year? What if in the next year we would change 2,000 lives? 2,000 people's lives would be impacted for God. And what if for the rest of our lives, as this church, we chose to love one person each week for the rest of our lives? Five minutes out of however many minutes we have in the week. We chose to actually love people. Over 150,000 people's lives would be changed by just us in showing love to others in our lifetimes. One person each week for the rest of our lives. 150,000. We're just one church. We're just one city on a hill. But what would it look like if all the churches throughout Australia chose to do the exact same thing? Man, we would see people, yeah, boom, yeah, boom, and our churches would be filled. People would be attracted to this radical love of Christ. Why? Not because our worship's hip. 
or our messages are cool? No, because of the radical love of Jesus in us. Because he first loved us. So as we close today, I just encourage you, who is that one person you are going to show the radical love of Jesus to this week? And what might that look like for you? Let me pray.